Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Get the pace car! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Hey, race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santorowski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about this past week in racing and preview next week. Joining me in the studio, my regular cohorts, Louise Torres and Richard Uden. Guys, how are we doing tonight? Good, thanks. Been going pretty well. Pretty well. And we also have a special guest with us tonight, R.C. Enerson, who's racing in the IndyCar series, and he's also had a couple of starts in NASCAR as well. Um, R.C. Enerson from Top Gun Racing. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. All right, so we're going to get to uh, talking to R.C. here in just a moment, but I would be remiss if I didn't open the show uh, by mentioning uh, the passing of Robin Miller, which was something that I sure didn't want to read this morning. Uh, here's a guy who uh, has meant a lot to me and meant a lot to a lot of folks. Um, you know, anybody that, that that writes or does journalism or whatnot, um, you know, Robin Miller, you love him or you hate him. You have to appreciate the fact that he's he's raw, he's unfiltered. He uh, he says it, calls it like he sees it, sticks to his guns. He's usually the first guy to break a story. Uh, he's he's been a fixture in IndyCar racing for decades, and um, you know he's been battling illness lately. He uh, was thankfully able to make it to the um, to the brickyard for the uh, for the for the IndyCar race on the road course there, where he was honored with an induction in the Hall of Fame. And then this morning uh, we lost him. So, uh, uh, RC, did you, uh, did you get a chance to know Robin at all? I'm sure you have. Yeah. I first got to meet him back in my first year of USA 2000 when I was still in the national class. So I would have been 15. It was about nine years ago. Um, in USA 2000, he not only lived and lived and breathed IndyCar, but he also loved the road to Indy and the way it brought in the new talent and the way it was all structured. So I got to meet him uh, pretty well. Did a lot of interviews throughout the years in the road to Indy. Yeah, it's just a very sad, very sad day for um, just auto racing in general. You know, first Bob Jenkins, now Robin Miller. You know, a lot of these guys that were were my journalistic heroes are are, are fading away. So, um, you know, Robin Miller, your family and friends are in our thoughts and in our prayers. Uh, so, uh, you know, God bless him. Rest in peace, Robin Miller. Now, R.C. Enerson, you uh, have had a busy couple of weeks. You uh, ran the NASCAR Cup race, made your Cup debut at Watkins Glen recently, and then followed up the following weekend running the um, the Big Machine Spike Coolers Grand Prix uh, for the IndyCar Series. So um, before we get into that, for the benefit of our listeners who may not have uh, uh, seen you or, 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 or heard of you, 
Um, can you just give us a little bit of your background? I know you're a Florida guy. Just just tell us what led you to this moment. Yeah, um, I was b- born and raised in Florida, um, Newport Ritchie, which a lot of people don't know what the red is. So I just tell them it's somewhere near Tampa. <laughs> and um, but my 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 parents are, or mainly my dad is from Minneapolis. And whenever I was growing up, it was like three or four years old. I was super into like the Matchbox cars. I had like every single NASCAR on the entire grid at the time. And was super into to watching it on TV. And my mom thought like, well, you should, maybe you should get him a go-kart. There's like a Dirt Devils track here right by the, there was like 20 minutes from our house. And uh, he was like, nope, I'm from Indianapolis. If, if he's going to race, he's going to race on asphalt. And uh, got in touch with, uh, I believe it was Comet Kart Sales. Ended up getting my first kid kart around four, four, four and a half, somewhere close to five years old. Um. Started at Sunshine Speedway, which is now Showtime Speedway. A lot of a lot of circle track short racers know where that is. And um, started throughout the karting stuff. And it was more or less a hobby, I'd say, until I was about seven years old, eight years old. And then we started going to like the pro level karting back when it was the Florida Winter Tour. Now it's SCUSA. Most people know it, know it as SKUS, say. And um, but ended up going through the karting deal. Got into the Skip Barber Racing School when I was 12. Went to cars as soon as possible. I was never really the best carter in the first place and um, ended up getting all the way through the, through the schools, doing some regional stuff. Um, got into the USF 2000 series when I was 15 at the time, that was the, that was the age you could get in. Now I believe it's 14, but uh, ended up doing a year in national. And then I did my uh, first year in championship class, which would be the next class up ended up finishing, I think ninth in the championship. Um, then I did my third year use of thousand, which was the second year championship where we almost won the championship with our family run team, um, which was pretty cool because capes are on like a seven, like a six year winning streak. And we, we give them a good run for our, run for their money um, at Sonoma. And then uh, ended up skipping the, the indie pro side of things um, because at the time it was still the old car. And it was basically like double your budget to go about a second quicker until they got the new car. Now it's a valid step but um, ended up jumping to Indy Lights. And the main reason was because the new car was coming out. And it was anybody that was returning was going to have to completely learn a whole new car, a whole new chassis, a whole new everything. So it kind of leveled the playing field. Ended up getting into that with, with Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports. Um, did really well. It definitely struggled a bit at the beginning of the season. Um, ended up getting a first podium. I think it was the third weekend at Barber. And uh, kind of did really, really well in the ovals. Ended up finishing fourth in the championship. Um, came into the next year as one of the favorites. Um, we just had a lot of issues the, the next year. Uh, I think I ended up on like a seventh motor, uh, just mechanical issues overall, and ended up after the freedom going out on Indy Lights, not knowing what was going to come up next and get a call from Dale Coyne. Hey, do you want to do Toronto, mid-Ohio? And uh, I was like, well, first Indy is I don't think we should be at Toronto. That's a street course and that's a, that's just definitely not a place you want to make your debut it's definitely risky tight quarters first time in it no testing no nothing so ended up opting for the mid-ohio test in the mid-ohio race and after we did really really well we ended up doing Watkins Glen and Sonoma following that and then it was just kind of touch and go I mean you're trying to find a ride trying to find funding trying to find sponsorship and it's just a never-ending battle uh ended up doing Daytona 24 hour after that but uh 
still kind of in and out testing certain different cars, kind of anything with the wheel and engine and four wheels on it. I was, I was willing to drive it and uh, ended up doing a race with Carlin in 2019 at mid Ohio. We did a lot of preseason testing for him. We were trying to look for a full season ride, but uh, ended up sponsorship falling through and only I got the opportunity to mid Ohio. And then it was again, still kind of touch and go. And then we got linked up with Top Gun Racing. We got actually Don Kay introduced us. Um, we heard first heard about them around PRI 2019 in December. Started talking to them. We had big plans to go forward. And then, uh, of course, COVID hit and that threw a wrench in everything and uh, ended up delaying our plans a year. And now we're to now with, with Top Gun Racing. Yeah. Speaking of Top Gun Racing, now we've uh, we had uh, Bill and Stephanie on the show. And they had nothing but glowing, wonderful things to say about you. And um, as far as I'm concerned, Top Gun Racing and what they're doing and what they're trying to do uh, represents like everything that's very good and pure about racing. Here's people that want to go racing because they love racing. They're really not to the point where they're looking at it as a lucrative business at all, which certainly it's, it's not. You know, it's, it costs a lot of money. Um, but, uh, so, so how's the relationship between you and the Throckmortons and, and do, do you have some plans to continue, uh, maybe add some more races, you know, to next year? Yeah, of course. Yeah. We definitely want to stay there as, as long as possible. And as long as I can, I can still be there and they're, they're great people. The history in that place, especially that shop is insane. Like if you walk around, you can look at those pictures for hours around the place, the cars, all the memorabilia it's it's really cool to go in that place every time you go in there it's kind of mesmerizing to see how far back those pictures really go and um yeah no we're, we're trying to look we're, we're still working on funding and everything along those lines and i think we're more focused since it's all going west coast i think we're more focused on buying ourselves some runway to focus on the 2022 schedule and then see what all we can fill through that obviously you don't want to try and go in and just try and go a full season and only end up there for one season, do the, do the smart races, make sure the, the publicity is there and uh, move forward from there. Right. Well, fantastic. You know, best of luck to Top Gun Racing. Again, I, I, I can't say enough good things about those folks as well. I just, I just love what they're doing. So now you talked about the, um, the road to Indy program and, and there's some mixed reviews on that. A lot of folks think that this is the perfect training ground to uh, bring you to, uh, you know, a, an Indy car, an Indianapolis style car. Uh, but, you know, lately we've been seeing a little, a little more influx of uh, guys coming over from Europe. When you look at your Alex Pelos and uh, guys like Roman Grosjean and Erickson coming over here. And it, it seems to me that there's, there's a gap between that pro series and the Indy lights uh, where, where the field gets incredibly small for Indy lights. And do you think that that hurts a lot of guys from moving all the way to the Indy car series? Yeah, I, I do. And the fact is because when, the, when all the new cars came out and, and you gotta, you're trying to get more exclusive races, you look at budget numbers and the way they run, and the way it's structured, it's definitely tough. It's really, really tough. This, I wish there was more publicity on it because if you look at the European ladder series, there is a lot on it. Like you look at F3, F2, F1, and almost all of them are like televised of some sort. And I know the Rotendi does television, but it's, or some mm-hmm. form of television, but it's, it's still, I mean, you wish you could see more of it and it's hard to do sponsorship for a, for a ladder series. It just makes it really okay. tough in general. And I mean, 
the new cars kind of came out before, like, like when I went into Indy lights, the, the new car came out and it was still the old Indy car. And when the new car came out, it was completely different. I got to test the old lights car and, and the way the car drove in comparison to the two cars was completely different. It's just like different things. And then when I jumped to the Indy car with the old arrow kit, it was back kind of how the old lights car drove. And then when the new IndyCar arrow kit came out, it drove a lot like the lights car. So I think that's why you see a lot of the young guns doing really, really well in the new arrow kit because it's loose as fast in that thing. Where the old one, the downforce <laughs> and the lower lower horsepower, I mean, you could barrel the thing in, add elbows, a wheel, and kind of wait on the car a little bit. It just drove in a completely different manner. Um, so there's a lot that goes into it. But I think the main thing for the Road to India is just on the publicity side, like for sponsorship and anything along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, sorry, is, is it interesting, you know, the point you make there, you know, about how the ladder seems to be a lot more well-defined and almost longer in, in Europe? I mean, I remember, you know, this must be going back 12, 14 years ago now. I'd, I was at Silverstone and, and, you know, you'd have like from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. It was solid racing and the British Formula 3 was there and, I remember Daniel Ricciardo just like lapped the field on a 20 lap race. It was phenomenal. And you'd get to see these guys at that level. And not only was it like the equivalent of like $20 to go in and watch all day, but it was also televised and, you know, they had really, really good publicity around it. And, you know, Red Bull were involved in that level and, and some pretty big name organizations and companies were involved in that level of racing because it was televised and because, they had the young driver programs, which sort of attracted attention to it. And, you know, it's a shame in a way that that's not necessarily quite as well publicized here um, as it is. I mean, obviously in the, in the Southern NASCAR series, you've got the three main series televised every weekend. Then you've got your ARCA and your Wheeland series. So you, you go down, you know, almost like five or six levels and it's televised, but single seater racing in the U S does seem to have a, a problem at the times of getting that, that airtime and those minutes out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when you think of American racing, the first thing you think of is NASCAR, right? Yeah. Yeah. Every yeah. time. Or, or Talladega Nights. Yeah. You think of Talladega Nights, NASCAR, <laughs> and then the only super spectacle, crazy day of racing is the Indy 500. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I remember back in the early 2000s, it was when, oh, God, uh, Thomas Schechter, I think so. It was early 2000s. It was actually on the radio in the UK, the Indy 500. Um, yeah, the Indy 500 is just massive. Yeah. And, and then, of course, you know, it waned a little bit. And then when you had guys like Sato and Alonso coming over and, you know, Rubens was there for a while and some of these XF1 guys. Unfortunately, that's what it takes in Europe to get publicity into IndyCar, which is a real shame because... I think it's a fantastic series by itself. I don't think it needs these people to come in and do that. But, but you know, in Europe, it's getting uh, you know more popular. I was at, you know, again, early 2000s uh, when they had the, I think what they called the London Grand Prix or something at the time, you know, when it was Brands Hatch. And was that Bourdais' first race win or something in IndyCar um, or whatever it was back then? But it's, it's really popular in, in Europe because, you know, we sort of, I guess we... But the Europeans appreciate the racing a little bit more than maybe the spectacle. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Podcasting is hard, but it doesn't have to be. Introducing the science of a podcast, hosted by Spreaker from iHeart. This weekly podcast looks at the many sides of the podcasting industry, from success, growth, and technology to the varying challenges we all face. This is one podcast about podcasting you don't want to miss. New episodes launch every Tuesday. Listen to the science of a podcast on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts which is where the, you know, the divide comes, I think, between the audiences. And I think if you, you know, if you take IndyCar to Europe, it'd be more popular in Europe than it would be here sort of thing, which is a shame. I think this, because it's Formula One so popular, the most popular form of racing in Europe is open wheel. It's Formula yeah. One. I mean, like what, like over 60% of their schedule is in Europe? Yeah. So it's just super popular. They have one race in the U.S. And I mean, IndyCar is pretty much just U.S. and Canada-based. One race yeah. in Canada. So it's yeah, just the, the, the scale of it is completely different. Yeah. But, you know, I, I've said this about NASCAR as well. If you take an IndyCar or a NASCAR race to the U.S., and Brands Hatch is probably a perfect circuit for both series, they'd sell out those venues in days. You know, you, you have massive crowds going to watch those events. I just think motorsport in general is more popular in, in, in Europe than it is in the States. I mean, uh, you know, motorsports are still – kind of in the States considered a bit of a niche, niche sport. You know, they're a couple of rungs down. Yeah. yeah. A couple of rungs down from, from, from your football, your basketball, your baseball, you know, they still want to say, you know, baseball is America's pastime. Although, you know, sometimes I have a hard time staying awake through a whole baseball game, but uh, you know, maybe that's why, it, maybe that's why it is. <laughs> yeah. So now RC, I wanted to talk to you about uh crossover because you, uh, like I mentioned earlier, you've raced, um, you had a cup race this year, and you also raced in the car series. Now, years ago, back in the days of guys like Mario and AJ and, and the Unsers and Johnny Rutherford, it was routine to see a guy like Donnie Allison come run the Indy 500 or AJ Foyt go pick up a NASCAR uh, race date on his, on, his, on his off weekend. And that kind of crossover happened quite often. And then there was a time where it just disappeared entirely drivers that you were either a stock car guy or, or an open wheel guy. Um, you know, unless you just switch series entirely, like, you know, like, uh, uh Tony Stewart or, or Danica Patrick. Uh, but now it just seemed like quite recently we've got guys like yourself, um, Santino Ferrucci, uh, Connor Daly and Cody Ware, uh, dabbling in both, um, disciplines within the same season. Um, is, is this, would you say this is a symptom of, of, of economics, um, looser, you know, concert, uh, concert contracts? I think it goes strictly to opportunity. If you have the opportunity to do it, I think, I mean, you offer a NASCAR race to pretty much anyone in the IndyCar paddock, they're going to probably say yes, as long as it's not on the same weekend as an IndyCar race. And kind of vice versa, I think. I mean, I think it's a lot tougher. I mean, I don't want to speak 
out of turn or anything, but I mean, when I went to the stock car, you got to really reel the, reel the reins back. I mean, the brake zones are very <laughs> long. It's, it's, you, you want to roll speed into it because the way you push the car is just completely different. The driving styles are insanely different. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you one thing though, the stock car is really fun to race because the, the brake zones are so long. You don't have necessarily have to outbreak somebody in a 200 foot span. You have 700 feet to soften pressure and get yourself there. So it's, it's definitely, it's, it's completely different styles of racing. I definitely like driving the Indy car a bit more as far as a car to drive for actual lap time, as far as your, you know, your practice and your qualifying, but the racing style of NASCAR, especially on the road course, cause it's the only thing I've done is, is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And, um, I definitely hope to do more of it, but I, the, the crossover is tough. I mean, you look at Jimmy Johnson coming to IndyCar and, it's another animal when you're looking at the type of PSI of brake pressure and the corner mm-hmm. speeds of softening brake pressure and rolling that the more speeds you roll, the more downforce you're creating, the more grip you have. So it rewards yeah. pushing very, very much where the stock, yeah. I mean, you got to focus on exits. So you try to roll more speed. You're just going to go off. <laughs> so it's, it's just completely different styles of driving. Um, that's tough to wrap your head around. And obviously with the Indy car, you're putting, you're, you're producing so much downforce with such a light car. It's tough to get close. So the racing tends to look more spread out on TV as opposed to the NASCAR. You look at the racing and everybody's bumper to bumper constantly. So it's, it's just a, a wildly different form of racing. And I think most race car drivers enjoy that. Like you go over to something you're not used to and it's just a completely different style. It's new to you. You got to learn on the fly. It's, it's just different. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, um, I've always. Okay, I, I'm sorry, Richard. I'll, I'll go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, you go. I think it was Dario Franchini who said that the, the hardest thing to get used to when when he went over to NASCAR for that partial season uh, was the fact that he would overdrive the stock car because the limits of the car were so, you know, below what he was used to. You know. It, yeah, because the IndyCar just reward it really rewards over pushing because the more speeds you roll, the more downforce you're putting on the car, the more grip you're going to have. It just the more you can push, the more it rewards. Obviously, you've got to get your brake temps it. up as well and everything, haven't you? You know, if you cut cold brakes, you you know where and you know it, it's interesting. different tire you, models too. Yeah, so it's like the IndyCar tire fall off is like it's like lap one or nothing for yeah. or lap one, two or three for qualifying where. The NASCAR, it's like it's like a half a lap or nothing because the tires burn off so fast, and then they kind of flatline forever. Where it's they, they, it's just completely different tire styles on how they fall off. It's just, yeah, there's a lot to it. You know, it's uh, you know for a casual viewer, just just you know, it's oh, it's just either it's a big car or it's a little car. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot. It's a lot going into there. Now, Louise, um, I know you're uh, you cover the IndyCar series uh, quite deeply and in depth. So, do you have, do you have a question or two for RC? Yeah, it, it kind of goes back to going from open wheels to trying stock cars for the first time. I know you mentioned as a kid you had a couple of those Matchbox and NASCAR cars back in the day. Kind of how did it went for you personally as a driver at Watkins Glen for Rick Ware? Because I was at Nashville when they were running at Watkins Glen. Watkins Glen was definitely a tough one because it's almost like a road course that drives a lot like an oval just because everything's on pretty high speed. I mean, you never use first gear. Everything's second or third. It, it was very 
different. I mean, I, I definitely don't like the fact that I don't run my favorite part of the entire track, which is the boot. That, that was a tough one. <laughs> yeah, you're not the only one that has mentioned the boot or an all of that because that's kind of like a debate in NASCAR. The NASCAR folks, should they run the boot or without it? Personally, I'm indifferent, but the boot would be a nice touch. Seeing how the IndyCar is running out there adds a different challenge. Well, yeah, it's got my favorite corners in, and there's a lot more elevation to it, not just the S's going up. Um, it adds a lot more elevation, more brake zones for passing, uh, especially a couple slower corners. So it, it would reward a lot of the, the, the road course heavy people. Um, but yeah, it's definitely an, uh, a road course that drives a lot like an oval. You see a lot of oval, oval guys not struggle as much on that road course as, say, like the Roval or Road America or the, the, the Daytona Roval. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then the, the other thing is the kind of like the preparation plan. Cause I know in May it was a bit of a struggle, kind of a learning curve. And then you guys come to the Grand Prix. I'm, I'm trying something different with the road course. Of course, it wasn't the outing that you'd hope for. It's kind of how you felt that time around being back at Indy and competing in your first race in quite some time. Uh, I'd say the hardest part of that entire weekend was the reds. I mean, I hadn't been on reds and I think I talked to a Marshall Pruitt racer for it. And it was like, I think it was like 26 months since I'd been on reds. So that, that grip change where you're going a second to a second and a half quicker on reds was you, you know, I get done with my run and I'm like, wow, I definitely didn't push enough through some of the higher speed stuff. Like they definitely left a lot on the table and that just comes from these guys who've been doing it. When they, you see the guys that are full season, I mean, they, they're right on it from the get go. And that's why you see time so close and they're just, they're, they're used to it. So it's jumping in is really, really tough. The quality, the race side of things. I think we had a really good race car with a really good race pace. Um, we didn't really have any fall off. It was just the new tires trying to get back to the, the level of grip that that thing has was the tough, was the toughest part of it, especially on the reds. I mean, when you get, when you get a grip change like that, it's really tough. Yeah. I'd, ima I'd imagine. So, so when you look back at this, this year, who knows if there's any other races planning on, on the West coast swing for you guys, but when you look back at this season you view it as kind of like definitely a growth in progress and just hope to build on it in 22. Yeah, of course. We, I mean, we're, they're definitely trying to get as much of, of the schedule filled out in 2022 as we can at the moment. And um, definitely what we just need to buy ourselves some runway. You need marketing. You need a lot of those things, no matter how much people say, Oh, let's just racing. I mean, it's 90% marketing just trying to get there. Yeah, you've got to get your name out there. Now, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about uh, what you do when you're off time. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about, about this uh, off the air. You know, a lot, a lot of folks wonder, you know, that part-time race car drivers, do they, you know, do they have a full-time job? But you, uh, uh, you work with um, a couple of different programs doing uh, driver coaching and instruction. I wonder if you care to just chat about that a little bit. Yeah, so um, I work or I instruct at the Lucas Oil School of Racing, which is the official school of the road to Indy. So a lot of, we get a majority of, of our people that come through us is, is Carter kids that are looking to go look into the road to Indy to go to IndyCar, or even if they go through our program and go to IMSA with the prototypes, it's basically like an IndyCar with a lot of body work. Um, 
but yeah, no, we get, a, we get a lot of different, different people in the school and it's, I mean, it's better than a regular job because I get to talk about the thing I know the most about, which is racing. And, um, but now, you know, we've been up and running for about five years. Uh, my dad, Neil Anderson, he owns it. Um, it, we kind of gotten to the idea of it after Skip Barber had its issues. Cause you look at, I think it was like last year, I think it was 60 high in the high 60% of the Indy car grid at the Indy 500 was had gone through Skip Barber at some point coming up through the ladder system. So it's, it was definitely super valuable. And when they kind of went away for a little bit, it was kind of the void that we filled and we've been as good as we can get it. And we got a, a race series or we offer a scholarship to us thousand and instruct as much as I can. Every time I, there's an event, I'm there and instructing. And then whenever I have a chance to private coach, like in the US 6000 series, I'll be going there to New Jersey to here tomorrow. I fly out and I'll be going to New Jersey to coach Michael Myers in the US 6000 series. So that's, and he actually came through our, through our race series as well. He did the, the full season uh, two years ago. So it's as much private coaching because it's the thing I know the most about. And I have the coaching experience from doing it for five years with the school. So it puts your credentials kind of there. And uh, yeah, as much coaching as possible. That's interesting. I, I did not know that, that your dad owned that, that school. I mean, I, I've heard a lot about this school, seen a lot of posts about our face on, on social media, but I, I just don't know how it escaped me that, uh, that I didn't know that Neil owned that, but that's a, uh, but, but to your point, it's, it's a very important program because you, know, like you said, Skip Barber was your, your starting point. You know, you do, you know, you start in a cart or, or a formula V eventually get yourself skip Barber. And that's the, the really, you know, the first road, you know, first step of the road to Indy. So the fact that you guys are in there um, as an alternative uh, or doing the same kind of thing is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. When you look at it back in the, the skip Barber's heyday, like the 09, 08, 07, it was insanely 30 car fields. It was all the up and coming race creditors. I mean, you look at Connor Daly, Joseph Newgarden, they were big standouts in, in, in Skip Barber. Even your big, big names were in it. Were in it. Uh, our, one of our lead guys, Gerardo Benilla, was in racing in that. He used to be a Mazda prototype driver way back when. <laughs> I don't like to say that because he's not that old, but <laughs> he, uh, he raced with, uh, he had pulled up a couple time sheets from back in the day and you see the names that come up on that. And you're like, well, that explains a lot. And it's just, when you go from a cart to a car, if you, you just try to jump straight to us at thousand, I mean, you're putting a lot on yourself without actually knowing you go from a cart that has no suspension, only rear brakes, obviously depending on the cart. I know shifter carts have the, got the front brakes on them, but you go from that with no suspension, weight distribution, how you do the brake pedal. It's, it's completely different from the, from, from a cart. Mainly the biggest thing you get from go-karting is just sheer raw pushing and racecraft. That's the biggest things you take away from it. Uh, besides that, what you do with the pedals is completely separate shifting. You have multiple gears, making sure you're doing the right things. It's in, we do that through our basic school Then you take our advanced and then we have a full race series where we have Cooper tires on board and they, along with the road to Indy with, with us being affiliated with them, put on the, the DOT slicks, the street legal slicks. And, uh, we have a really strong race series. And we, I think at St. Pete this year, we, I think it was almost 50% of the grid had done something with us at some point. So it was really cool to see, and you'll, you'll see that grow as years go on. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, again, like I said, it's, it's wonderful work that needs to be done. Uh, you know, get these young kids uh, the skills they need. Uh, now, I wanted to ask you before we let you go. Now, you've not you've not done a ton of IndyCar races, but but I do know that the you know, the IndyCar fraternity is kind of a kind of a close knit group. I, I I mean, like you know, you were there the whole month of May. Uh, is there any is there any other drivers that you find yourself uh, gravitating towards? You know, anybody that you like to hang out with? You know, talk talk racing with, have a beer with. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. I mean, the one that stands out the most is Connor. Obviously, Connor. He's he's a lot of fun. Um, hang out with him. Obviously, after the races, everybody likes to, to, to hang out, especially in the RV lot. In the, with the 500, you have everybody in the RV lot. So it's it's a lot of fun. Everybody hangs out. But uh, I think probably the main person I hang out with would be Connor. Um, and then, obviously, people, are, the other drivers are there as well. But I, I, I don't have a super close relationship because I've only done – now what it would be five races, even though this race, I only got like eight laps <laughs> and only two of those laps was without a problem. So it's, it's definitely tough to get into IndyCar, but especially having friends around them around the paddock is good. Yeah. Right now, Richard, do you have anything for RC? Yeah. I just, you know, it, it's fun how you, it's interesting how you say that, you know, how the drivers do all sort of hang out and socialize together and, I think that's one of the great things about IndyCar, you know, especially when you look at it from where I grew up in the Formula One world, it was so clinical and um, sort of cutthroat. Yeah, and, and it, it, there was almost there was no character to it. There was no sort of um, you know camaraderie sort of thing. I mean, you'd literally you'd fight with other teams as to who would get on the plane first and stuff like that. It was ridiculous. Um, yeah, I mean, you look it, at the interviews from Romain and uh, yeah. Marcus Erickson, Max Chilton, and yeah. it's like the, the F1 paddock is very political. It's, I mean, oh. it, obviously, it's the premiere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a weird world, but, you know, because that's more about the TV audiences than anything, you know, because obviously they're so global, you know, they've got to appeal to everybody. But you know what you, what you guys are doing is more about the fans at the track and i think it's fantastic and you see why you know guys like roman and and, and um max chilton and and um you know ericsson, ericsson. And, and, and these even help yeah you yeah rubens and takuma and guys like this you know even they, max they love, when they, they, they love the indycar paddock just because yeah. it's, it's a lot more friendly it's a lot more accessible yeah a little I mean, bit we, more laid back when i was you know when i was one of the two when i was first starting in Formula, one of the teams i worked for you know we, we needed a, like a, a connector you know one of these common connectors and we didn't have one and you know the, the, my head the, the head of the test team says oh yeah just just 
walk around the you know the grid there and, and go and talk to some of the teams, see if they've got. But don't ask this one particular team because they'll report me and they'll get you know on the phone to me and you know so you know you just I don't think you'd ever see anything like that. It, it's it's a horrible sort of very clinical sort of you know dog eat dog sort of world and. Um, I understand why the drivers like it a lot more. I just wish it had more publicity because it's a fantastic race series with fantastic racing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's almost a shame, but it's certainly picking up. You know, I think some of the audience figures from the last 18 months, two years or so, have, you know, have been really encouraging and I really hope it grows. Well, a huge thing to IndyCar too is, I mean, the cars are spec. The only thing that's open is dampers. Yeah. And so, you, I mean, how many different winners and how many different races? It's like only two people have two wins. That's yeah. you don't see that much ever. But do you think also that's an interesting question? Because I've you know I watch this now that so you see that, but and you'll see the the odd race where somebody who's typically running tenth, eight, you know, middle of the pack suddenly comes along and dominates a race and wins. You know, you, is that and it's great because obviously it creates that who's going to win this week sort of scenario. But then. At the end of the season, does it you know, typically the best driver win the championship? But does it struggle to sort of differentiate the, the drivers? Because I'm sure that sudden burst of speed is just purely getting the tires in the right operating window. And so, you know, I remember who was it? Was it last year or two years ago when when Sato won on one of the road courses? I mean, he'd done nothing all year, and then suddenly, yeah, Sato wanted, wanted wanted Barber, yeah. Yeah, that was it. And it was out of nowhere, pretty much. And I'm sure that's just set up his just sweet spot hit. And he's just got that confidence to, to really push and get that, that operating window perfect. And then outside of that, the next race, he was nowhere sort of thing. And, and I wonder, I mean, it's obviously great, you know, at that point, but is it good? You know, I, I don't know if I'm trying to sort of articulate what I'm trying to get across here. But uh, I think it's great to see these shock winners or these unusual winners. But then is it? Is it, is it right, I guess? I mean, I think so. It's, it depends on which team hits the setup, right? I mean, there's always a sweet spot. And I, I like the, the, the ability with yellows and the way they think it followed. The strategy actually matters. Because um, it's just, I've always had a tough time just even watching Formula One because it's like, well, I know either I can just look <laughs> it up later. I know a Mercedes or a Red Bull will probably win. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it didn't oh, matter which sure. one, but it was like if you're not in one of four seats, the chances of winning are slim to none. Yeah. So no, it's just no. always tough for me to watch just because the, there just wasn't a lot of racing. Unless something happens to where a fast car ends up in the back and you get to watch the guy rip through the field, Yeah, then it's great to watch. Or if you watch a rain race when uh, when grip doesn't when, – when there's no grip, the racing is really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it's no, it's, no. When you look at IndyCar so, and everybody's running on the same package, obviously the dampers are open and they mean a lot. I mean, you're they, they do mean a lot, but it's it makes the racing really close. It makes it makes it a kind of a an oddball roll of the dice type of thing. And one small thing could throw a complete wrench in the system. You got people that they obviously structure the races to where it could be a possible two stop if you save fuel or a three stop yeah. if you're pushing. And everybody's debatable which. Which, uh, which strategy is this person going to run? Are they going to be able to win from this strategy or this and that and the other? And it's just, I think it's a little more team-based. Yeah. And I think, you know, definitely a lot more team-based than, than NASCAR and the, the way they operate. Um, but I think you make a really interesting point there. And the one thing I find fascinating when I'm watching 
IndyCar races is this sort of concept of the fuel strategy. You know, tra- you hear them so often, you know, the, the race engineers talking, you know, hit a number, hit a number. And I really think that NASCAR could do a huge amount with that, especially for the TV audience. You know, you're seeing it in Formula One now. There's a lot more data-driven graphics and telemetry-driven graphics on the, on the screen. And some of it's a little bit, you know, a little bit crap sort of thing. Oh, an overtake chance of 75% in three. I mean, that's just garbage sort of, you know, graphics like that. But, you know, it, they could really play on stuff like that. You know, yeah, this guy's ahead, but, you know, he's running this fuel mileage and trying to show like the crossover and, and really give people an insight into it because they are far more technical cars than, you know, the cup racing and, and, and the like. And I really wish they'd emphasize that and try and, appeal to the almost to the playstation generation with with that sort of information i think that would, that would really improve the uh, the show yeah i agree i mean you look at the formula one race and you see like the predictive what's the chances he can catch them because he's on yeah. a new set of tires this that and the other and then you also got the other side of it where our indie car teams when they're giving them a fuel number they're not exactly giving them a fuel number they're giving them a color or yep. some kind of reference where they have it on their wheel where they know what number they need to hit without actually yeah, yeah, announcing yeah. it because everybody's scanning <laughs> those channels. Oh, cool. You're trying, so, to, yeah. go, you're trying to get a number that, that, that they can't read because you look at like Marcus who was trying to save fuel in Nashville while still getting pressured by Colton. And oh, that was a hell of a drive, they, wasn't it? If, if, was, if, uh, they, yeah. if, if they would have known, oh, well, you have to, they knew exactly the fuel number he had hit, they'd be like, oh, just, just pressure him. Don't worry about it. Like yeah, he'll yeah, probably yeah. run out of fuel where if they knew what the fuel number is like, okay, he might definitely make it with just a small fuel say definitely have to pressure. You might've seen, yeah. a, seen a different outcome. Cause I think the yellow and the red kind of saved them a bit. Oh, massively. Yeah. Oh, yeah I think that was sure, a yeah. huge, huge bonus, but it was a great drive under huge amounts of pressure, you know, from somebody that was, was, you know, pretty, pretty quick all weekend. You have somebody that's uh, almost almost lost it on the first lap, you know. Well, yes, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was an incredible drive. So, well, RC, um, I know you've got to go get yourself some dinner. I do want to thank you so much for coming on. I have enjoyed speaking with you. Uh, would you care to uh, let our listeners know where they can follow you on social media? Yeah, of course. Um, just it's RC Anderson on Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook. Uh, I'm definitely not into the TikTok thing, so don't look me up on there. Uh, <laughs> it's no, all good. No Neither am I. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just the main social media stuff. And um, yeah, not just Lucas Oil School of Racing, Top Gun Racing. Um, the, the two places where I spend 95% of my time. <laughs> all right. Well, fantastic. I want to wish you the best of luck uh, with your racing career in the future. I hope you have a safe uh, flight up to Jersey. Uh, that's that's a little racetrack I like. I've, I've driven a Formula V around there. Uh, I like that little racetrack. So uh, best of luck to you. Um, have a great night, and uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. All right. Yeah, well, thank you. It's good. All right. Have a good night. Now, yep, now, fellas, let's talk about Gateway. Yeah. Let's yeah. Talk about mm. Gateway. Let's talk, talk about, about Gateway. Let's talk about Gateway. So we had a. Uh, little bit of a tough time getting the race going, <laughs> but <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's, uh, it took to a the, while to the point that folks were saying, where are we in Nashville or, you know, uh, but, uh, and a lot of that was due to these, again, 
these restarts uh, where, where the, the, the leader just going so slow with the restarts that it's according up the, the field. And what was, you know, similar between Nashville and gateway was Colton Herta out front leading the restarts. So, and it just, it just sloppy, sloppy to the television viewer. Once we mm-hmm. got through, once the race got going though, it got pretty darn good in the whole middle section of that race there where we saw the young French guy making his oval debut um, really, really turned up the wick there. And he, uh, he looked like an old pro on the, uh, the oval there. Grosjean did. Yeah, he held his own quite well. He held his own quite well for an oval race. He was making some moves and progress that a veteran would do because that was the question. How would he adapt to this kind of racing? It looked like he adapted quite well for the most part. And as far as Colton Hurd, I see this was, was one of those other races, the many, many races where he's strong, but something will keep him out of the running. And oddly enough, like Rossi was also doing all right and he had his own issues. There's everybody had everybody seemed to have problems, especially that the championship contenders of Dixon and Pelot after what happened with I believe it was Renus VK in turn one that wiped yeah. out both Ganassi guys. And now what looked like a Ganassi runaway is now giving Pacho Award a shot at this championship, which no, Pato is leading the championship at this point. Yeah. You know, Palou lost yeah. his entire lead. Uh, you, you know, the poor guy is let, let goes from bad to worse. You know, uh, you know, grid, grid penalty in Nashville, another grid penalty in, in Gateway, DNF at Gateway here, getting involved with somebody else's mess. And his, his pretty impressive yeah. points lead is dwindled down to where he's now sits second in the points. Yeah. I was minus so, 10. Yeah. 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 I was just literally like, I think I mentioned it last time we were talking about the Grand Prix race where I was in the mindset that Polo could actually go into Conclusion at Laguna or better yet, he would probably, all he has to do is show up in Long Beach, start the engines and he locks up the title. Now that's not even a thing anymore. Now he has to rally and find a way to beat Pato and the, the West Coast swing, which will be I, quite I think, interesting. I think the guy you're going to have to watch out for is New Garden. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he is New Garden is right in the thick of this thing again. You know, the, between the points that uh, he gained and Polo lost, New Garden is right in the thick of this thing. We know the guy knows how to win championships. He's got two of them under his belt. We we know he does well on the type of courses we have coming up here. So that's uh, that's that's the guy you got to watch out for. And and behind him, Dixon is not that far off either. But I, I do feel yeah. like I do feel like it. At this point, it's uh, seventh championship for Dixon this season is a bit of a long shot, but not impossible. Not impossible. You think he, you think he'd have to win two of the last three, wouldn't you? To, to he give will it. need, yeah, he'll need a lot of help. Uh, a a strong yeah. finish. He's what forty yeah. points behind, so a couple of wins and a podium would make it interesting for him. But he certainly, I mean, there's a you know road courses. If he wants to turn it on, he's certainly got. Got the ability. You have to win polls too because that gave you some points as well. And are we, are we, as well, isn't it? So, are, are we doing the um, double points at Long Beach? Actually, I hadn't heard. Mm, no, I don't, don't think, think so. so. Yeah, I, I think, think yeah. I want to say Indianapolis. Yeah, I hope not. Only double points this year. So, so yeah. yes, yeah, so these guys have to you know make it count on the um, 
and three races left to go. Yeah. And, and Palou is. And that's just, these are tracks that Palou has never run on race day form as well. Because remember last year, we had no West Coast races for the first time since 1946. This is because true. It, yeah. Has, so, a, has a ward raced all those tracks? Pato has success in Indy Lights at Portland. He didn't. I don't. He didn't run Laguna. He ran Long Beach. Which I think it was the last, the very few races he drove for Carlin at the beginning of the year before he went to Super Formula. Yeah, I, I believe he did run Long Beach. Yeah, he's done Long Beach. Yeah. Yeah, but Pelo has never run in those races, so you'd be curious to see how he does to this West Coast swing. Knowing those are tracks, the last couple drives he's never raced before that other drivers have. Yeah, but these are tracks that are similar. Uh, you know, we, we, I mean, other than Long Beach, the other two tracks, Portland and um, Laguna, are pretty similar to what he's grown up racing on. You know, proper proper road courses, with a lot of elevation changes. So I, I don't think it's going to be a huge learning curve uh, for him there. Yeah, for new and as far as New Garden, in case you didn't caught on, New Garden did win at Gateway, and it was definitely a little reminded me of a Brian Hurd of Shell livery, but he definitely stepped it up, and it seems like Penske finally got have finally got it together as far as their winning ways are concerned. Yes, because Will, Will Will Power took pole number sixty of his career, so he's only or was it sixty four or. He's only like he took pole win number sixty, right? So he's only seven away from Mario for all time most poles in the world ever in Indy cars. Yeah, he's get, he's getting quite there, and also people tend to forget he's there. He's not awfully far behind Dixon in race wins, and he's won the amount of races in five fewer seasons than Dixon. Come when you when you really think about it, yeah, yeah, they're not, not that far. And I know we talked about it, we emphasized it a little bit more last time that he's definitely among the all time grades. Very quick qualifying, those wouldn't win. Just sometimes it comes at certain times where it may be too little, too late as far as the championship is concerned. Yeah. Whereas New Garden, he's in position. He just needs to have a real strong run at Portland to really be in that mix. But as far as Pato. Another runner-up finish at Gateway. So while he didn't get to win again, it seems like he's got an act for this track that I would not be surprised in the coming years he'll win one of these one of those races. But this is the furthest a driver from Mexico has led the championship at this point in the season. Because when Pato led it way back early in the year, I think it was a or early in the season, he was the first since Michel Jordan to lead the championship back in 03 for Mexico. And I was curious, is this the furthest that somebody from Mexico led the championship trail? And that comes and it turns out to be true because Adrian Fernandez never led it in 2000. I thought he did, but he never did. No, I don't remember Adrian ever being at the top of the points. Yeah. Hmm. I, I remember him winning a good amount of races over the years, but I, I, I don't remember him being in the thick of the title fight ever. 2000 was the closest where right. there was like what five or six of them at one point with like DeFerrin, Paul Tracy, Franchitti, Roberto Moreno. Yeah, among yeah. those. That was a great season. <laughs> but yeah, it'll be, you know, got an off week coming up. And then it's Portland. And I think if I remember, it's Laguna, then. In Long Beach, I don't. I think next week, this coming week is the one of the last off weeks they have. If I yep. remember, 
Yep. So yeah, the season, yeah, the season is nearly closed out. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing how quick it goes. It still feels like it just began. Yeah. And the silly season mm. is still up and running. Who's would be curious to see if Meyer Shank will announce something in the coming weeks, because I know they have this big plan of having a second full-time driver to replace Jack Harvey. Right. And they keep, you keep hearing Simon Pagano's name in that mix, but, uh, you know, confirmed by neither party, you know, uh, Michael Shanks says, yeah, he's uh Simon's on the short list, uh, but nothing, nothing confirmed or signed at this point. So, you know, and, and of course, you know, journalists are, are really ones who uh, jump the gun and make assumptions and, and, and then they hope they, they turn out being right. So you can't, uh, you know, when, when Shanks says nothing is signed, you could probably take it to the back that he's not trying to hide anything at the moment, but he, you know, maybe indeed trying to, get Simon on that team. But the big question there is who goes to the 22 car at team Penske, if anyone, or, or does Penske drop to three cars? Yeah, I feel like they may drop that, drop the car and say, if they want to use that as a specialty car for the 500, because I know the big thing that also is being talked about is Kyle Larson is whether or not he'd be interested to run the 500, whether or not we're going to see Penske push for it. Yeah, Kyle Larson's name is everywhere, everywhere, uh, you know, in regards to a 500 run. So, yeah, I, for one, would love to see him run the 500. It's just a matter of what car and if it's the timing, if the timing is right. I feel like if he's in a, if he's in a Penske, I'd be curious to see how he does, because the last couple of years qualifying and not been their strong suit all of a sudden and race day it seems like they get a good result, but not in the race winning battle in recent since the past couple years. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, speaking of Larson, uh, we just came out of Michigan and we're on to Daytona road course. The last, no, the 400 miler at Daytona. Oh, the 400 miles. That's right. The road course earlier. Now we're doing the, uh, the firecracker 400 at the wrong time of the year. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But, but this will be, this will be the, Last race of the so-called regular season, correct? That is correct for Cup. Xfinity, I think they have a couple more races to go for their regular season to end. All right, so we had Blaney, Blaney won at Michigan, which uh, so was not another unique uh, winner, which uh, probably that, that locks Denny Hamlin in pretty much, right? Ham- Hamlin was already locked in after Indianapolis. Harvick. Harvick is the one that's now in. So Harvick's locked in now, yeah. So it's just one more spot. It is going to either bo- is going to come down to RCR or somebody else spoiling RCR's party. Yeah, right. and which, which RCR driver we're we talking? Austin Dillon. The two RCR drivers Reddick's. they have. <laughs> yeah, Reddick's leading Dillon, and of course Dillon got wrecked. Yeah, Kozlowski at uh, at Michigan, which yeah, was can... uh, yeah unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. What, that, was heck, what... that was a heck of a hit he took. Yeah, it was. That was a big lick. Yeah, that yeah. Was, um, and Dylan had a strong he, car. He, he probably, was, but he'd probably go top ten. But again, it's you know they're in this position where they're you know I wouldn't say they're obviously they've struggled for you know for a number of years now. But they, you know, when they do have a strong car, it's just in in sort of periods of a stint, you know for the first twenty laps of the run they were really really strong, and then for the last twenty they were like dropping off by two or three tenths of a second a lap 
And at one point he was challenging for, for the lead of the race. And then by the time it came to the end of the stage, he was ninth or 10th, you know, so it's, it's baby steps to them, obviously, but they need to, you know, they're, they're obviously gambling on a short run car, you know, they're at that stage of desperation, I'd say, and it's a horrible thing to say, but they are, you know, do they go with the long run car or do they go with the short run car? They, 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 they just purely went with a short run car, hoping that there was, you know, 20 laps of green flags and then a caution came out and that would keep him in that zone, if you like, for where the car was quick. But as soon as they started to see any sort of amount of degradation and tire wear, they, 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 they dropped back pretty quickly and that put them in the position where uh, he was, you know, racing with Kozlowski for that final point. And, and I don't know if he turned into Kozlowski or Kozlowski turned down on him, but um it was yeah, simultaneous. Was... Dylan yeah, went yeah. down, Kislowski went up. Apparently, Kislowski supposedly was not aware that that battle, that the stage was still not over. So it's a kind of a double miscalculation. But Brad yeah. felt bad, bad about it because Dylan looked like, because at one point it looked like it was going to be a very close points battle. But oh, yeah. with Dylan out, Reddick was going to probably have a 40, 50 point cushion to where Dylan had to literally win. And Reddick, all he has to do is just yeah. not get collected. But then at the very end of the race, where he and Suarez got into it, spun very late. Yeah. And Dylan actually gained very little on Reddick because of those stage points that he got that really come. That's yeah, true, yeah. So yeah. instead of 28 or what would have been probably 50, it's 25 going into Daytona, but but it's 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 in, in a way it's sad when you have a team as iconic as that, you know, battling to get 16th without a win, you know, in the season and just scrape into the playoffs. You know, it's it's a real shame, really. They they you know for a team with that history and that heritage, they um, they should be doing a lot better than that. But uh, yeah, and there's yeah. zero guarantees. Don't either one will make if you exactly. Could. Yeah, I mean, if you get oh, yeah, a freak he's... winner. Yeah, well, considering that we're going to Daytona, which uh, has yeah. the history of producing a freak winner here or there, you know what I mean? You yeah, get, you they're gonna, have, they got a bank on Cascarola winning for an RCR car to win to make it in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you've got you've got the possibility that any of these other guys that are kind of in there that haven't won a race could get lucky at Daytona. You know, you could have a yeah, you could have, you could have a Bubba Wallace win that race, who's uh yeah run pretty well on on the on the. The, the larger speedways. Yeah, he had a good running at the in the five hundred. You also gotta keep in mind the Benedetto, and also I would not rule Benedetto, out Stenhouse. Yeah, Stenhouse. Yeah, Stenhouse, yeah, Stenhouse. Stenhouse. Stenhouse yeah. yeah, got a couple of restricted play wins. Yeah, or mind even, you, that was with a special or, car. But. Or or imagine yeah. this: if if things if Brian Priest had that twenty nineteen Daytona five hundred luck. He, Paul, we know he could win it, and that's a non-charter car winning, which I don't recollect. No, we never seen a non-charter car make the playoffs. It's always been charters. Yeah. 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 All right, guys, we are kind of just about out of time, so let's uh, uh, pick us a winner for Daytona, and then we've got Formula One coming back after breaks. We have. Let's uh, go ahead and quick uh, Daytona winner, Louise. I'm going to stick with Wallace. Okay. And Richard? I'm going to stick with Stenhouse. Okay. And I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna say Austin Dillon wins it. Um, oh. Oh, yeah. Hey, that guy knows his way around Daytona. He sure does. Oh, all right. He so knows the way through somebody's rear bumper as well. 
This is true. <laughs> this is true. Uh, so now, now Richard Formula One, we've got coming up. Yep. Uh, we did not get the anticipated news about no. the Mercedes seat that we uh, we were hoping to get during the break. They indicated that decision is on hold. I think was it was it uh, Valtteri that said, "Oh, by the way, Lewis wants me to be his teammate." But he's going to say everything he possibly can, can't he? To yeah, well, uh, yeah, you know. wouldn't you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Instead, we but, heard something uh, else about Mercedes that it's kind of missing. Yeah, they're pulling out of Formula E, which is a shame. You know, a couple of big manufacturers. I think we discussed this briefly last week, but yeah, a couple of yeah, big did, manufacturers yeah. have pulled out of Formula E, so that was their announcement. Um, but um, I imagine we may see something at the press conference, you know, in Bahrain. I think oh, not Bahrain. Belgium. I think the, that may be when they make the announcement, um, but we don't know yet. Right. And uh, Japan. I think the been... longer it, yeah, Japan's been cancelled. I think the longer it goes on, the less likely it is that Bottas will stay. I think that, uh, you know, the, the more the delay of that decision, the more likely it'll be that George Russell moves over. So you feel you feel if they if if Bottas was going to stay, if they, they would, wanted him to stay, yeah, exactly. they, they they would have go ahead and announced it. Yeah, I got you. There's it's just what? copy and paste on the contract and change a few dates and sign it. And you know, thanks a lot, Beltre. See you on see you in January. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the replacement race for Japan is rumored to be, or it's going to be Qatar. Qatar. That's right. Well, that's one of the races. There's one also the rumors race. of a. And then so, going to Indianapolis. Austin doubleheader, yes. I've heard. I've heard all yeah, but the, the most recent one is yeah, Indianapolis, which would be pretty cool. I mean, I tell you, yeah, Louise, you and I could go. Well, it's close. I'd be there. When when I'd is the Japanese go. Grand Prix? Is it in, is if it's in October second? Count me in. November. Ah, uh, then never mind. I guess that's not my birthday month. Well, the thing about <laughs> November, November in Indianapolis, it could actually snow. Perfect. Or it could it could rain. I mean, they (laughs) didn't. No, they were only ran deep in October because that used to be the penultimate round of the championship any twenty years ago or so. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So, uh, so we're we're off to (laughs) Belgium. So we're off to Belgium. So, Louise, you you want to pick Hamilton or Verstappen? Rain is threatening. Verstappen. All right, Richard. Who do you like for Belgium? Bottas. Bottas, okay. <laughs> to so that main concern. <laughs> so, so, so that leaves me Hamilton, which is a pretty good pick, and I'll stick with it. So, but uh, until next week, guys, I want to thank you, Louise, Richard. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank RC Enerson for coming on the show. What a uh, what a wonderful young man! I really enjoyed talking with him. I want to thank uh, Hoobazoo Radio Network, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Google Podcast, and I want to thank you folks that listen to us every week. Until uh, next week. Good night. Who? Who? Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 